You're listening to a 3CR podcast created in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. Three CR and Stick Together would like to acknowledge the Kulin Nation and the elders from the Kulin Nation, the true owners, custodians, and caretakers of the land that we are able to live and work on. We recognise that it is unceded land and we pay our respects to their elders, past, present, and future. Always was, always will be Aboriginal land. Welcome to another episode of Stick Together, and I'm your host, James Brennan. Thank you so much for tuning in and thank you to our presenters for their contributions to Stick Together and a great show each and every week. And thank you to the Community Radio Network and the support of the Community Radio Foundation that enables us to broadcast this every week right across the nation and has been going for quite a long time now. So we really appreciate that support. Also, obviously, from 3CR, our home station here as well. And with that, we also have a fundraiser for for 3CR that is coming up on Saturday, July 23rd from 3 to 7 p.m. at Black Spark in Northcote if you're in Melbourne. If you're not in Melbourne, uh, please get in touch with us otherwise that you can support the station. Really appreciate it for if you was able to do so already. And Radio Time for your support. It's great to know for Community Radio to help to bring these stories that people can inform, entertain, educate, agitate, so speaking of, uh, on this week's episode, I am speaking with Carmela Emmanuel. Uh, she's a feminist and women's health doctor, also a member of Socialist Alliance, someone who's been involved in abortion rights campaigning for quite a long time and is also an abortion doctor themselves. And we were speaking about the Roe v. Wade overturning of that decision um, in the US and about its flow and effects to Australia and also to be able to hear about what are some of the issues that are facing uh, women and others who are getting abortions uh, in Australia. This has been something that has been decades in the coming, uh, decades in the making. Uh, and so there's been this specific thing, the the um, attack in the Supreme Court. But I think we, we need to see the wider context it's been operating in. Uh, the the backlash against women's liberation since it even began. Mm-hmm. Uh, so 73 was the Roe versus Wade ruling that established that there is a constitutional protection for abortion. But then, uh, so clinics were established, services have been established and, and operating. So threats and physical intimidation, violence against people attending clinics, clinic workers, murder, arson attacks, fire bombings. Um, these these physical actions have um, have been one wave of things that has led to clinic closures and service closures. And people who might have wanted to attack clinics, uh, well, sorry, might have wanted to attend clinics uh, needing to access services, being intimidated out of attending. Um, and just the intim- intimidation of, of um of harassment uh, on a lower scale, but still real and and, and psychologically harmful. Um, Do you think, you know, like even at the moment, I think we've got a US that's very divided and, Mm -hmm. you know, there's a lot of, uh, you know, I guess even hate that is from both Mm -hmm. sides, the left and the right. Do you think that plays an impact and, you know, the kind of things that we may see you know, already we've seen clashes in in the US and... I I, I think it's, I mean, there 
a real need to mobilise to defend people trying to access clinical care, like, like we're just physically shielding them from physical attacks as well as, uh, you know, abuse and, 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 and so forth. So of clinics has been completely essential. And so it's no, no wonder if, if in response to, to the vitriol and, and as I say, the, the, the murder and, and firebombings and so, so on, there's kind of no, no surprise that um, people have, have see, seen it necessary to, to defend themselves. And, and, and that, that level of, of hatred and violence directed at people requiring abortion services has certainly led to, um, uh, has certainly been a part of this polarisation that happens in the US. We might all know, we might have seen or been a part of supporting people to, um, you know, go to clinics themselves or to um, outside of protests and things like that. You know, in Victoria, we've had legislation put in uh, by Fiona Patton to stop people from protesting, having an exclusion mm -hmm. zone around um, mm -hmm. clinics and things like that. It's mm -hmm. one of the few places I think that, you know, in these kind of, in countries like the US and, and Australia where we need to have these things. You know, I don't, Absolutely. I can't really think of many other places other than, you know, military buildings and things that the government might put out those kind of things where where that really happens but in terms of yeah what what civilian human beings like just people trying to just go about their lives yeah this is it really is and and the, I think something that does stand out about the difference between Australia and the US is that state after state has been enacting legislation to protect people from harassment as they enter clinics and and that fits the pattern of what is different in Australia compared to the US, whereas in US they kind of charged forward with this legal opening and then there's been this 50-year process of whittling away access and availability of services. In Australia we didn't have the big breakthrough, but what we have had is step-by-step by, step by case law and then by legislation, protection and, and opening of access to, to abortion um, and, and the, the wave of legislation establishing bubble zones, safe zones, whatever you'd like to call them, around clinics has has been a part of that pattern and kind of the, the latest of the, the things to kind of fall into place. And so I think that while we have to take seriously here in Australia the attack on abortion access in the United States and, and we have to recognise that an attack, you know, an attack anywhere is an attack on us all and emboldening the right and the conservative anti-abortion forces in the US does embolden the right and the conservative anti-abortion forces in Australia. Mm. But the momentum is still on our side. The momentum is still on the side of promoting access, providing access, making it possible for, for people to gain the access that should be theirs by right, should have been theirs by right for decades, hasn't been. So it's been inadequate that it's taken so long to reach this point, but the momentum still is in our favour. And actually, I think quite excitingly, um, it's it, this is still even being borne out as, as late as on Friday night, where in Queensland, a member of the state government attended the huge 2,000-person strong protest that happened in Mianjin, Brisbane, to let us know that actually abortion is going to be available in the public hospitals in Gladstone and Rockhampton, where um, re recently private providers pulled out of Rockhampton and it has been this, this void and it hasn't been good enough and it should have happened sooner. But, you know, impressively, excitingly, um, and just as it should be, it, it is happening. And so I think this bears out the idea that we've still got forward momentum and and I think it bears out the idea that we've got to keep pressing that home. It, in some ways, it's a very 
kind of sobering and, and depressing sort of state that something that was legislated nearly 50 years ago can be, you know, wound back. Well, we had some really great protests over the little while since the overturning of Roe v. Wade. But one of the things that come out from those protests was people speaking about the issues that we face in Australia for people seeking abortions. Can you talk about that? Yeah, for sure. And it really is a matter of the, like, a lot of the practicalities. And there really, there really is a class and, and other kind of dimension to it where people who might experience various forms of uh, oppression or marginalisation uh, or exclusion uh, find can can find it harder to access the abortion care they need. Um, so there's there are things like say for instance in Queensland last year one of the main provi- uh, private abortion providers in Australia closed their Townsville, Rockhampton and Gold Coast clinics in Queensland and in New South Wales their their Newcastle clinic, um, and so that for for most people needing abortion care. In Queensland, that means that abortion care is pretty, what's the word, um, concentrated in the southeast corner now. Uh, so that, those were surgical facilities. So medical abortions still, that's, I mean, that's another question. Um, and, and it's sort of, again, kind of patchy access. But what that has meant is people travelling from all across the state uh, to south to Brisbane to be able to access surgery when they need it, or sometimes um, sometimes it works out better in a bizarre kind of twist to um, to cross the border and, and get care in, in New South Wales somehow. That sometimes <laughs> has made more sense over the, the last few years. Um, so that's um, I mean, just when you think about being distant from your community, your support networks, the cost, um, the inconvenience, the need to do things like organised childcare. I mean, this for some people, those become insurmountable barriers to getting the abortion care they need. And some people end up having um, to continue a pregnancy that they had decided they would not be able to. Um, and, and then that brings all the, the burdens of it that that brings. And, and for some people, it's, you know, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a lot of money, it's accommodation, it's, it's a whole lot of things like that just to, to get to care. For other people, it can be, you know, obstacles put in their way deliberately by doctors or, or others who are opposed to abortion care. And I can think of, uh, I mean, I, it was some, someone who stands out for me, and this is just, it's, it's one person, but it's not at all someone who was unique. This is when I was working in, in WA where um, the law says that a doctor who's not the doctor providing the abortion or not connected to uh, providing the abortion, so not the anaesthetist either in the case of surgical abortion, um, someone else, a different doctor, has to provide information so that the patient can give informed consent. What that's usually interpreted to mean is a different doctor has to do a referral. And uh, I can remember one patient in particular whose doctor referred her actually to an antenatal clinic which is completely inappropriate it, it because of her because of her lack of mobile phone coverage in this regional area it took ages for her to to get a, an appointment confirmed there and when she finally got there they said well we can't help you um so then she was pushed back to try to go back into the kind of um you know roundabout to, to try to find access to uh, an abortion provider, someone else I can think of who um, who saw like five different doctors before they could get the doctor who would do the referral. Every extra week of delay in accessing, you know, medical care for abortion, like to, to be able to access the um, procedure, is an extra week's worth of 
potential risks because the um, while it is a very safe procedure and it's you know up until the you know 12 13 14 weeks of pregnancy it's around about 10 times safer on average than than continuing a pregnancy so it's it's an extremely safe thing but there is a difference between having a surgical termination at uh, six weeks of pregnancy compared with at 12 weeks or, or and, and certainly more, more and more as, as each extra week beyond that goes mm. and not only that but the cost also starts to rise so if you're going through the private services you can be paying thousands of dollars if you have to have a second trimester abortion so after depends on how you count it but up, let's say after 14 weeks you, you yeah you can be paying for paying several thousands of dollars for the abortion care that you need and if the reason you're late accessing care is not because you didn't stick your hand up and say, please, can someone provide me with this care, but because um, other people have decided for you that they're going to put obstacles in your way, then it's, you know, every version you can think of is unfair. And and they're, they're, just, they're just kind of a couple of, of examples, but being in, in regional or remote communities without access to, to care is one thing. Yeah, so they're, they're and it's just there's this postcode lottery that, um, that we talk about where in some, like I can remember when I was involved in um, the abortion rights campaign in Tasmania in the early 2000s at around the time that all the hospital abortions stopped and, and the, um, the freestanding feminist-run private clinic had had to close its doors. Around then, I, I met a um, doctor who had worked in regional Victoria. Now, at, at the local hospital where she had worked, um, they had a pro provided abortion because that was just, you know, like, of course, of course you did. Um, and and that was just what, what was done. Whereas in many, many other places that I know of, of course, you didn't. Um, and, and I've I've tried referring patients to um, a public hospital when they have not been suitable for for having their care in the private setting I've tried to refer to a public hospital that does you know tertiary abortion care, uh, sorry tertiary maternity care and obstetric they've got the obstetric you know they've got all the skills and, and capacity and the whole thing and just being told by you know doctor on the end of the line with this whole stigmatizing thing oh we don't do that here so so it's it's whether you like there are just uh innumerable potential obstacles from from when you walk in the door to ask your GP can they help you find a, a provider? And the truth is, you know, medical abortion exists in Australia. The, the, the two medications that can be used to bring on abortion, it's on the, the pharmaceutical benefits scheme, finally, after a long time of being not available, but it is. Um, any doctor can do the four hour or so um, online course to get registered to be allowed to prescribe it. And it's not onerous. Um, you know, there's a lot of useful information in the course. Uh, it does help make sure that it's done safely. So any any doctor can can do that. They can any doctor can write. You know, a GP or or um, obstetrician gynaecologist can write a, a, a an authority prescription. So you have to get an authority prescription. It's just not just a standard one. You can't you know you can't just turn up at the chemist and say hi. I'd like the medications for abortion. But it's theoretically should be accessible but I believe it's something like only eight percent of GPS have have bothered to do it and mm. if we remember that somewhere between sorry I am kind of just throwing this stuff at you no, no. Um, okay so if you remember that something like um a third of abortions ending in termination then no GP can say oh I never thought I'd ever be faced with a patient with this you know like it's, it's not like oh never never heard of that strange syndrome um, I better go back to the books and look it up. 
no, this mm. is this is um this is routine. It's routine, and and for the same reason, it should be routine in our hospitals. It should be routinely provided by our GPs, and um and it should be being, uh you know, and, and given that the stigma and given the the obstacles that people do put up to care and so on, our our state and federal governments should be establishing dedicated services with dedicated staff to provide the clinical care with dignity, respect and excellence in any jurisdiction in Australia can, can get it because there shouldn't be barriers like it's not available in my, loca my locality or it's not available, you know, it's not available in my public hospital. You can go and have your appendix removed. You can go and um, give birth to your baby. Um, mm -hmm. You can have your, you know, other pregnancy-related care in the public hospital, why wouldn't the public hospital system, you know, provide your abortion care if you need it? So what do you think those prohibitive factors come down to? I mean, it's really hard to, you know, put a generalisation across what mm. is, and, mm. you know, it's, mm. it's very deliberately described as individual's choice, um, as in the doctor's individual mm. um, and other medical professionals, like individual choices. But, I mean, I guess the two obvious things are about, you know, the influence of religion and you know, and I mean, I guess the, the main thing is really just about the kind of structures of, of sexism and patriarchy that mm. exist in society. But yeah. there's still, yeah. you know, I mean, there's lots of women who are doctors as well. And, you know, there's lots of, I mean, I think those, yeah. that kind of, that aspect is perhaps not as obvious as it might have been mm. in the past with mm. um, not as many kind of male figures, you know, being gatekeepers mm. of these kind of information. I mean, still yeah. very yeah. much are, but yeah i don't know what do you what like what's your experience seen as like those kind of factors you know, there? yeah one of the things that i think is a is an important factor is to look at the history of abortion service provision in australia partly because of the criminality well you know the the colonies each inherited the british law in its various versions so each state or territory um when they were established you know, adopted the penal code from Britain in whatever stage it was at the time, and they included um, various versions of offences against morality or offences against the person. And abortion was was stuck in there somewhere, and um, and so it, it meant that um, you, you know, say let's look it up to the, like the fifties or so, abortion was was a crime. Um, in in the places where doctors started working with the um, abortion rights movement, like, and I think of particularly, um, now his name escapes me for a second, but hopefully it'll come to me, but the, um, but Wayner um, from, from Victor, who was in Victoria and, and other doctors as well, who, um, who wanted to stand against the kind of illegal on the take corrupt, because there was a whole lot of corruption in it because it was all underground and, and um, there were doctors paying off cops to, to, um, hide bodies and it was just a terrible, terrible, uh, mm. tragic, um, ghastly situation. Well, when um, when steps started being taken to make clinical services more accessible and then bit by bit case law made, it, made openings and room for safe abortion to be practised, it still remained in the hands of private providers by and large. And so the, the skills and um, the, the skills and the clinical settings tended to be in this in this sort of private niche and and I think it's that history of being provided in the, the private freestanding niche that meant that even as the legal space has opened 
it's been possible for for hospitals to have this kind of attitude of we don't do that here you know like that's someone else is already doing that um and we certainly don't want to stretch our budget to have to include that as well. So I think, you know, we're, we're currently, even though abortion's sort of been decriminalised and um, it's legal now in, in so many places, that if without um, direct implementation of additional funding to say, yeah, now you do that, now this is core business, you must do it, without that then it remains in the hands of, yeah, what has been pretty patriarchal. Um, like there's so there are some marvellous people in, in obstetrics and gynaecology. There are some terrible heads of departments and, you know, hospital administrators whose whose decision is, no, we're not going to be doing that here. And you can, I've, I've met uh, ONGs who wanted to do, uh, wanted to provide, willing to provide abortions, but told by, you know, some administrator, oh, no, that's that's not a service we, we're going to let you do. The Global Doctors for Choice uh, wrote a great paper about conscientious refusal of care and, and the many, many parts of the whole health system that mm. it operates in to prevent people from accessing the um, abortion and, in some cases, contraception care that mm. they need. Uh, yeah, so whether it's... um. And so legislators are one part, <laughs> hospital administrations are another, doctors are another, nurses are another, uh, anaesthetists are another, like they, they, but pharmacists can be another. Like there's just um, uh, kind of innumerable um, places that refusal to participate in care is possible. And that's why there needs to be a, like a proactive decision to make it possible. Now, in, in Sweden, there's a kind of a blanket thing of there's no such thing as saying, no, we don't do that. There's just not. <laughs> um, mm. There's no such thing. And the, the laws in um, certainly Victoria, I think, and, um, like, so some of the, the these sort of new round of laws have made it that you certainly can't refuse care when the pregnant person's life is at stake. That's not okay anymore. But, yeah, the, in other circumstances, it is still permissible to refuse care. And what that means is while you can have individual human beings with a conscience and they can op operate according to their conscience and you can criticise the decision to let that happen, but, okay, we, even if we're going to say, yeah, that's possible, you can't say an institution has a conscience, no. Mm -hmm. No, you can't have any any institution that receives public funding. And, of course, I'm looking at the Catholic hospitals here mm -hmm. um, uh, and other religious kind of run hospitals. Any institution that receives public money for healthcare, and particularly if it's got anything to do with women's health, there can't be such a thing as saying, no, we don't do that here. They're, they're, they're just, we, so we, we have to, um, while, we're, while we've kind of, we've got work to do to... Um, have you know medical students nurses midwives um you know anaesthetists pharmacists where well, we have work to do to um to to raise awareness of of why women's autonomy is means it in, <laughs> and and pregnant people's autonomy is 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 something that must be defended if you're going to be an advocate for any patients and if you're going to operate as a healthcare practitioner so we've got we've got work to do to just make this of course but in the meantime, we have to operate, we, we have to establish and open and fund and operate, you know, centres centers that do this deliberately, recruit people who are going to provide the, the care with the dignity and respect and compassion that, that everyone needs. And I think, you know, there's two figures that certainly come up a lot in politics that are gatekeepers of some of this as well, and Tony Abbott and John Howard and the role that they played yeah. in... And, and Harradine, yeah. The, you know, not um, to forget Senator Brian Harradine from Tasmania, yeah. the one who sold his vote 
to say yes to privatising Telstra mm. in return for a decision to stop abortion being uh, able to be provided by medication uh, without the health minister say so. And, yeah, the health minister was Tony Abbott, so that was never going to happen. And I guess, um, you know, not that I think um, Al Anthony Albanese, I'm not sure if he said anything about um, the Roe v Wade, but I, mm. it's um, scary to think what kind of road Scott Morrison may have gone down as well because he certainly shares fairly similar views to Abbott and Howard in terms of some of those religious sort of viewed um, views about women and and women's rights and things yeah. like that as well. Yeah. Well, um, but, yeah, we're going to have to wrap up in a moment, unfortunately. Sure, sure. Um, there's obviously, um, there's so much to kind of tackle. And <laughs> yeah. it's, um, it, it basically, I guess, the you know, the, while the Roe v. Wade, um, you know, decision and overturning, um, you know, decision to overturn the uh, Roe v. Wade in the US is, has really just heightened, um, you know, I guess the awareness for everyone, um, particularly women around the world, to be concerned that their rights can be taken away from them at any moment. And I think one of the, you know, really damning things in the US, when obviously the US, you know, is, is governed in, in quite a way that the states can kind of govern differently depending on um, laws that they have. So it does mean that there are still lots of states in the US where um, women should be able to access abortion. But there's so many of the states had a clause um, ready for this. So mm -hmm. it was something so that all lined were, up, ready to yeah. go. And I think that yeah. is and it's part of a concerning. deliberate strategy. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. 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 Okay. Um, and yeah, it's, um, you know, it, I guess it, it increasingly feels like it's, uh, you know, just heartbreaking for the American people that we look upon what happens constantly um, in that country and uh, another kind of really devastating impact for uh, for women and, and for people across the United States. But it's great to hear that we perhaps are not heading that way um, in Australia and yeah. it's good to hear I, that I think we, we should have make... something positive to go with here. Mm, mm. And maybe we could say, you know, we, we have to be vigilant. We have to be aware that it could be rolled back. It could be, you know, and certainly, you know, like the, the Liberal Party in 2020 went to the state election in Queensland with a platform of um, reviewing the abortion mm. laws in, in this state and, uh, you know, anti-abortion forces are organising uh, in the right wing of the, you know, the more conservative wing of the, the Liberal Party. Um, there are, you know, a couple of, you know, with a few note, few exceptions in the Liberal Party, the National Party, um, and, and certainly across the rest of the right wing of, of Australian politics, there is strong opposition to, to abortion. Um, so it's certainly not something that we can take for granted that, that will um, remain, but we certainly also know, even just the fact, the scope of the, the mobilisations that happened in, in this past weekend with thousands in Sydney, thousands in Melbourne, thousands in um, Brisbane and, and, and uh, you know, across the country, um, that we, we are prepared to stand up and defend our rights. And in my view, the, the strongest thing that we can do is continue to mobilise until uh, abortion is free as well as available, mm. accessible. You know, it's that whole, the slogan since the, <laughs> since the 70s, um, for abortion to be free, safe, legal, accessible, on demand, without apology. And, and until that's established as a just routine across Australia, we, we certainly shouldn't rest and we, we, shouldn't, um, we shouldn't think that uh, our job is done. And I also will just um, let people know there's a really great documentary called The Janes HBO, which is about, uh, it's set in the US, but it really talks about some of the ways that 
women and other activists were able to kind of get around, you know, these prohibitive laws in the past and perhaps provides a pathway for people to do that again if, if need be and to assist women to get to states where they can make that access. Well, thanks a lot um, for the interview today and, and thank you for all the work that you do in this field. I really appreciate it. Pleasure. Thanks heaps, James. Cheers then. Thank you. You've been listening to Stick Together and I'm your host, James Brennan. Remember, you can catch up on all previous episodes of Stick Together wherever you listen to podcasts. You can contact the producer of the show at sticktogether3cr at gmail.com. Remember, wherever you are and whatever you do, there's a union for you. Until next time, Stick Together for you. And that song is called Mandy Goes to Med School by the Dresden Dolls. Been feeling dull as a coat hanger, pretty as a picture of a patient on a fresh IV. Giddy as a gangbanger with a set of sutures, where is Magic Johnson ought to be? Yes, I'll tell you just the thing you need to be the next big thing. Let's start in with a test of your intelligence and zest for the counterproductive up and down and roundabout and out the back and keep your mouth shut tight. The lights are staying out, but no sweat. I got aim like a Mac truck. Guess how many? You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.